Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. All righty, thank you so much. Again, the voice of Dan McCarty introducing us here to the podcast. I'm excited for today's show. We are broadcasting from the 2022 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. We're talking with environmental stewardship regional winter winners. Winters. It's winter at home. I guess that's on my mind right now. Regional winners. And uh, as uh, we talk about the Environmental Stewardship Award, these are some of my favorite interviews that we do on the podcast, just learning about other people's operations and hearing their stories, the legacies that their their family farms and ranches have in their communities, their state, and their nation. And uh, we are joined by three of the regional winners. Uh, first is going to be Justin Robbins with Robbins Land and Cattle of Scranton, Iowa. Justin, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. And also... Also from Vail, South Dakota, Britton Blair with Blair Brothers LLC. Thanks for flying on down here. We're glad to be here. <laughs> and also we have Chris King with Josie King and Sons Ranch out of Winnet, Montana. About probably two hours from where I went to. Two hours to Lewistown from your place? One hour. One hour. So you're not that far out there in the boondocks, are you? No. 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 So they're in uh, central Montana, kind of the start of eastern Montana. You know, not eastern yep. Montana, the start of eastern right. Montana. Right. I, I, I like to describe it. But uh so happy to have you all joining us here today and talking about your operations and introducing our listeners maybe the first time to what the Environmental Stewardship Award is and also maybe hearing about an operation from a different part of the nation that maybe they're from the West and it's just all rangeland and it hasn't rained and maybe they haven't seen a row crop ever in the West. I think Mr. Robbins can talk about that probably when we when we discuss this. But uh, again, thank you all for being here. And first off, congratulations on that regional win. And I know the top honor will be announced in Reno, I believe, is where the summer business meeting will be held uh, later on in 2022. But truly, you all are, are, are winners and examples for each of your communities and states. But uh, first, I do want to give a big shout out to the sponsors of the ESAP and that being Corteva, NRCS, USDA, McDonald's, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So I've talked enough here at the beginning. I've really been rambling, haven't I, Britton? You're fine. Yeah, yeah, I should probably, <laughs> probably turn it over to you guys. But uh, first, uh, Justin, coming up from Iowa here to, uh, well, down to Texas, I guess. That's such a Montana thing to say. We're coming up or down. But, Correct. <laughs> but Justin, let's talk about uh, your family operation there in Iowa and uh, and just uh, what, what it's like to, to be recognized uh, for, for the work on your land. It, it has been a real honor to be recognized for this. Um, in our world, we, we just think that we're doing it the way it should be. We really don't feel we're doing anything different than, than anyone else. But um, it, it has been very humbling and after getting to see the videos last night, that really puts it into perspective. Because yeah. uh, you get to see it through someone else's eyes. You get to see it through a lens that, that you don't see it in. Um, it, it was nice to see. But it's our operation is, um, we're pretty diversified um, in West Central Iowa. We have a corn and row crop, uh, corn and soybean rotation row crop. We do hay and uh, cow-calf operation. Uh, we raise purebred Angus cattle, and we sell some bulls and females, and then we we also have a farm-to-table um, meat market that we that we do, and that's that's been a lot of fun. It's been a learning lesson, but it's been a lot of fun. Yep. In Britain, there in South Dakota, let's talk about your operation, your family's involvement there, and uh, and just uh, how things are there in Vail. Yeah, the operation consists of uh, my dad, Rich, and my uncle Ed, and and my cousin Chad and I. So kind of ran a lot by families and our families help out a lot on the operation uh call ourselves a cow calf operation but we sell 400 bulls a year and then run a pretty extensive yearling operation along with that um we have two ranches and lease another two ranches so we get to make an impact we feel on the environment quite a bit um whether you know our ranches that we own we've done a lot of work too a lot of water line a lot of water development and then our lease ranches you know we try to rotate just like we do and keep the overgrazing or don't overgraze it uh, just always try to improve the land whether we lease it or own it and just always striving every day to do a better job 
And next we have uh, Chris King out of Winnet, Montana. Uh, and uh, Chris, let's share a little bit about uh, your family operation there and uh, how things are looking out in Winnet. Well, we've had a really dry year, which, you know, those things happen. <laughs> but uh, I'm optimistic about the coming year. Uh, we have a cow-calf operation. We also keep all our heifer calves over till yearlings. That way it gives us a better chance to kind of see them grow up a little bit and decide which ones we want to keep for heifers, uh, replacement heifers. And then also we feel we, we make money on those that we sell as yearlings as opposed to selling them as calves. Uh, it is a family operation. Uh, our son and our daughter and son-in-law are there with us. Our daughter Kylie also trains horses on the side a bit, so and is a school teacher. So there's several things going on there. Uh, it's a multi-generational ranch, and uh, uh, Justin said it well earlier that that this honor is certainly an honor, but it's also very humbling, mm -hmm. and uh, and we also want to acknowledge that we're uh, that we're continuing the work of those that went before us. Yep. You know, my father started the rest rotation about 50 years ago, and we've continued to fine-tune that. We try to go to workshops, read whatever we can, and continually learn because no matter how well you think you're doing, you can always do better. Yep. So that's where we're, sh where we're shooting for. And I'm glad you bring up the conversation about those generations that came before, that, that put in, in the work. And it, it was hard to do that back then too we have so many more tools nowadays to track this to to, to use different fencing methods or, or whatever it might be it and it, it could have been viewed as almost radical by some of the neighbors for for some of the practices that uh, these multi-generational operations had but uh, when, when we look at that how how important uh, is it for producers of all ages to to look back on the past to to, to continue to go forward chris well, I think it's always important because you need to appreciate the good things that you do have now and realize that uh, that you probably couldn't be doing what you're not doing right now without the efforts of those before you. And, and, and it's always a learning cycle. They were trying to do the best they could. Uh, we're, we're trying to do better. And uh, I hope that the next generation exceeds what we're doing today. Yep. Well, and really, we, when we hear the word su sustainability, that's that's the big word for consumers. It's the big it word in agriculture right now. You know, environmental stewardship, obviously the name of our, our, our award program. But there's always a, a new word that comes around that, that is kind of the buzzword uh, in the industry and, and in consumers. So just recognizing all the hard work that your families have put, been put into this, it's just really highlighting a lot, a lot of years of hard work. But new techniques and whatnot as well. So, so Justin, jumping back to you, why, why has sustainability and environmental stewardship and animal care been such at the forefront for your operation in your mind? In my mind, I feel that you have to make sure that everything you do is profitable and economical. Um, you have to take risks, but you have to mitigate your risks. And in, in our part of the world right now, w cover crops is a huge thing. That's kind of one of the hot topics. Mm -hmm. And we've been utilizing cover crops for quite a few years. And uh, I believe that's something that is, like you said, kind of a, a hot topic and uh, a hot button. And that has helped us be more sustainable, more profitable. We're able to take some ground that um, 40, 50 years ago where they would haul manure because manure was just something you had to get rid of. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody really utilized it as well as it can be. So it was, it was unloaded as quick as it could be to save time and money. And we actually have problems with bean yields. We'll have very high bean yields but the beans will lodge and go down. Uh, so if we put some cover crops on that part of the farm, it helps all of it. And then we can take that off in the spring as feed. Mm -hmm. So we can, we can also utilize that if we want to. We can plant right into it. We can spray it. We can burn it down. We can work it in. Uh, it, it pulls up the, 
the nutrients that are tied up otherwise. And so there's there's multiple avenues. If you're willing to look at something differently, yeah. you can always see it through a, through a different eye and you can find another approach to do something. So, so that helps us and our sustainability um, and to be able to make the row crop operation and the cow-calf operation really tie together and, and make both entities better. And following up, I like how you, you phrased that, looking at things differently. What, what, was this, you know, something you learned from, from the, the generations before you? Um, or is this kind of, did, did you, you come back saying, you know what, we're going to radically change things? I guess, what, what, what was your, what, what's your experience with looking at things differently? There's one thing in this world that I hate hearing. That's how we've always done it. Because if we do it the way we've always done it, we will never make progress. We'll never move forward and, and do any better mm-hmm. than what anyone did before us. So I feel that that is something that we need to do. Um, so that's, uh, I've always colored outside the lines. I've never, <laughs> I've never marched to anyone else's drum. Um, I've always been very eccentric. And that's, I think that's what sets me apart in my part of the world. So uh, did, did you go to an agriculture college, get an ag degree? What, what did you do after, uh, before coming home? I wanted to farm. I wanted to farm, and I wanted to farm. Uh, my dad wanted me to go to college. My dad wanted me to find something ag-related, but go to school. Yeah. So I did. I went to school. Uh, I went to a, a small ag college for two years, and I decided that was enough. And uh, I hit the basics. And I came back home, and um, I have had a few different ventures, business ventures that I've gotten into to get myself further down the road. And then um, the last few years has really been where our, our operation has increased. A gentleman that I farmed with for years, retired, longtime family friend, honestly kind of an older brother mm-hmm. type of deal. Yeah. And uh, he retired, turned it over to us. So what we had already uh, had we were able to bring his operation in uh, with ours and we were able to expand and really to be able to to grow and to, to utilize some more ground and, and to put more cover crops on and really really improve some, some land quality in our area. Yep. And if you guys have questions for each other, feel free to ask them. And I think that's why these podcast conversations are so great. If something he says or you says sparks in your mind and you want to follow up feel free to do that i i will not be insulted as the host but uh britain for yourself kind of on those same lines as we maybe look at things differently or or especially working with uh uh pretty much two different families and yep. three four different families really what uh when when you guys look at sustainability what what are some of those key things that you consider in these family uh business decision plans and uh looking at different education resources uh, what what sparks in your mind yeah you know we've won the leopold award coming up to this and now this and i've been thinking about it a lot that i'm kind of unique in that my dad and uncle made the jump to start some of this stuff Mm -hmm. i mean they bought a place in the 80s that was smaller pastures so we started rotating that and then fenced the rest of the ranch in a short amount of time to keep rotating and I just feel like I grew up, you know, when I was 12, they're like, go move the cows every two days. So I didn't really grow up thinking any different. And yeah. I think that's good as long as I keep up with it, you know. And, you know, our, our deal is really fun because we all have different strengths and we all work together. And, you know, so they started it and then I can improve on it. My cousin really improves on it. And, you know, my biggest thing is I need to make an impression on my boys that, this is what you're going to do without telling them that's what they're going to do. You know, like I feel like I grew up and I'm just like, that's my mindset. I want to move cows when it's time to move cows. I want to rotate. I want to add more water. We want to always improve on what we're doing. And I hope it just carries on to the next generation. I think that's what's sustainable about this deal is it's a passion. It's a way of life. And we just keep doing it without even thinking about it, you know, Maybe talking about your dad and, and uncle, wh- where did they really get a spark for maybe the different practices that were implemented when they put their place together and then obviously translated down to you and your cousin? 
I think my grandpa was always interested in grasses. They always were out in the pasture looking at different grasses, and I think that really kind of sparked their beginning. And they've always been very progressive in that they've always looked for the new thing and just based on science and, you know, sat on some NRCS boards and really saw that it was important and always had the fortune that they could try something in one spot and then grow it to the next spot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we acquired a ranch in 2014, and it was fun because I say we've been making mistakes for 40 years, putting in water line and grazing or just always, everybody goes through the same progression. They put in the water line as the backup. And so the line's always undersized, and they always put in a tank and a fence line, and that always gets tore out. And <laughs> then you try a trap. Well, when we got the the ranch in 2014, it was like a clean slate, and we could start and you know use everything that we've learned for the last 40 years and just start with a clean slate and do it exactly like we wanted to and i felt like you know we maybe still made some mistakes but had a good start to to really bring that place together mm -hmm. and the other thing that place had a lot of blm and state on lease on it and uh you know got us working with a lot of government organizations as well as non-government organizations and we've learned a lot working with those kind of people and just how to increase this sustainability and increase this conservation that we've worked on. I feel like we've made a lot of progress in the last six years, almost as much as we did in the first 30, you mm -hmm. know? So for yourself, did, did you go on to, to get a higher degree or did you stay on the ranch? No, I went to SDSU. I'm sorry we beat you a few weeks ago oh, in football. that's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got beat by North Dakota, though, pretty bad. North Dakota State, a championship game, so... But uh, so, what did you study there at South Dakota State? I studied animal science yeah. at SDSU. Yeah. yeah. And uh, did your dad ever say? Did you learn that in college when you tried to implement something new, or were they more open-minded? Oh, they were pretty open-minded. <laughs> I didn't know there's a lot to improve upon. I uh, I maybe uh, studied the nightlife at Brookings a little more than I did the school, but and then I worked at the meat lab after college, and then came back in 2010. So. Right. And Chris, for yourself, when, when did you, I guess, when did you first hear about the term sustainability? Oh, I'm not really sure, but as you say, you, you hear it a lot here lately. Yeah. And uh, it, and it, it it's good. It describes what we need to think about. And, it, and ranching, of course, is a business. And so we need to be economically sustainable. But... If you're going to be in it for the long, long term, like most of us, a generational type operation, you have to be economically successful to do that. But you can't do that if you're not ecologically successful. If you're not taking care of the land, if the land is in any way being devalued, you're going to lose money sometime down the road. So, so I don't want to say that it's just a strictly a business decision because all of us out there... Uh, it's our home as mm -hmm. well as our business, and we've all, I think, developed a genuine emotional bond to that land. We really care about the land, and uh, most of us like enjoy the wildlife that's there too, and, and the, the improvements that we make that make grazing better for the cattle, it makes the range conditions better for the, the wildlife too, and we're trying to move towards wildlife-friendly fencing, so fences keep the cows where we want them and we can direct that grazing them but the wildlife they have uh they have the ability to go wherever they want on the ranch mm -hmm. so well and bringing that up and, and uh obviously you probably don't have any public land leases in iowa uh when when you hear the blm you kind of you, you you don't know where your mind goes uh sometimes because you're like well, what, what does that stand for uh so yeah, we don't have that kind of stuff in Iowa. So I'm not leaving you out of this conversation, but I, I wanted to ask him about, obviously, creating an, an opportunity for wildlife to thrive and for cattle to thrive and for the land to thrive. Um, I jotted down because both of you have uh, probably state, federal leases on your operations. How important is it getting an award like this to share with those outdoor enthusiasts with the hunters, with people that maybe don't want cattle and sheep. I'm going to throw sheep in there because they're, they're on, on federal lands, permits, state permits as well. How important is it to tell this sustainability story and how great it is that wildlife love to come in and eat on that already grazed land? Chris, your thoughts? 
That's true, and they, they enjoy our hay meadows year-round. Uh, yes, I want the sportsmen's group and the conservation groups uh, to come and, and, and look at our place because I, I think that they would be pleased with the condition of, uh, of the land and, and the, the abundance of wildlife that is there. Our entire ranch lies within sage-grouse core habitat, and we have a strong population of sage grouse. Some of the most active leks in the region are on our ranch. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously, cattle and wildlife can coexist. Merton, your thoughts? You know, I, I think it's important for people to realize that what's good for the cattle is good for the wildlife, and cattle attract wildlife, whether it's your hay pile or your <laughs> green yeah. field. And that keeps them over the winter, you know, keeps them healthy for the winter, and they go back out in the spring to the you know, outer edges or the BLM land, and that's where they spend the summer at. Um, our deal's probably a little different than most of the West on the BLM. You know, we have small tracks in the center where a lot of guys have huge tracks of land yeah. that maybe have to deal with that a little more than we do. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm not sure we'd have the deer populations in the West that we do without agriculture at all. You know, I mean, we provide water. We provide winter forage. I mean, whether it's your hay pile or some spring wheat or winter wheat, I mean, or whatever. But I think it's really done a lot to increase wildlife nationwide because of agriculture. That is one thing we see in Iowa. Um, We have some friends that when they find out that we're right along the river, oh, we want to come hunt, we want to come hunt. I'll let anybody hunt. I I don't care as long as you don't trash my fences, you can hunt. but then they find out we have cows, and they're like, oh, you, you won't have any good deer then. We're going to go to southern Iowa. Well, well go ahead. <laughs> and then they'll see some pictures of some deer that some other friends have um, harvested along the way. And they, they, don't, they can't understand how, it, how they really do um, co-mingle. Yeah. And uh, we were, a couple years ago, we were feeding cows uh, in some different pastures throughout the winter. And the deer would actually come up and eat with the cows while we were doing it. They, they will come eat out of the mineral feeders. They will drink out of the same waters out in the pastures. So that's interesting um, to hear friends talk about it. Like, oh my goodness, there were, cow- there, there were cows and deer all right together. And I could have shot and had a nice steak. They're for sale too. <laughs> you know? But uh, it, it is interesting to see how, how they do coexist and how people really don't wrap their head around it until they see it. And now we would like to take a quick commercial break and thank the sponsor of today's podcast and, of course, also a great sponsor of the ESOP program, that being our friends at Corteva AgriScience. Want to make the most of your pasture? Make sure to keep weeds out of the way with the DuraCore herbicide from Corteva AgriScience. DuraCore gives you extended control of broadleaf weeds, more than 140 in all, Thistles, ragweeds, pigweeds, even really tough weeds like wild carrot and poison hemlock. With proven safety to forage grasses, that means greater productivity from every acre. See what's possible when your pasture's potential takes root. Visit DuracoreHerbicide.com. Again, a very big thank you to our friends at Corteva AgriScience for sponsoring today's podcast conversation and also being a very proud sponsor of the Environmental Stewardship Award program. And as we come back to our conversation here today, so sticking to your your neck of the woods, obviously out in the West where the three of us are from, we, we always think land is too expensive, but compared to what agricultural land is in Iowa, sustainability and being profitable, uh, you gotta be sustainable to be profitable and, and vice versa. Uh, and. Uh, how does that, uh, the price of land and, and, and uh, urban uh, development, how, how does that come into your thought process when you're making decisions, trying to take care of your land, but also make as much money off that land without exploiting it? You have to have a sharp pencil. You have to be dedicated. And it takes work every day to stay ahead. Um, you can't slide because you will get, you will get behind. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the hard part with what pasture prices are doing um, for young guys to come in and try to get started is it's virtually impossible 
unless you have a very successful off-farm job or someone is helping you out along the way. Um, It's land prices are land prices are are getting very out of line in my opinion just by the way markets are going right now um it's getting tough it's getting very tough but it it makes uh, in our part of the world where we have uh feed commodities available it is it, it does um open your eyes to maybe putting some cattle under roof um maybe looking at a hybrid operation we do a lot of rotational grazing um we have a lot smaller paddocks, I'm sure, than what Chris is running, and and Britain's probably running on some uh, some large pastures as well. We might have 20 acre parcels. We might have 10 acre parcels, um, but we're also running more pounds per acre. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot more country for those guys to to make it work. Where yeah. <clears throat> I was able to add 50 cows to the operation. I seeded down 80 acres and I can still take hay off of it as well. So it's a different world. It really is. Um, If I have to look at a pasture and it's more than three acres of cow, I'm probably backing away from it uh, because it's going to take a lot of work. Um, So so that's the difference uh, in our world. But hoop buildings are becoming a big thing uh, throughout Mm -hmm. the Midwest. So that is that is a hybrid model we're going to look at because I think it'll be a little and more. Maybe explain that for producers that don't understand what that is. Uh, you mean the hoop building? Yes. So th- these hoop buildings will be anywhere from forty to sixty feet wide, and it's um, it's a cross ventilated building, and we'll put the cattle in there. I mean, there's there's some operations right now that are putting. Uh, uh, cow calf operations under roof year round and they just stay in the hoop building and they feed them every day and there are some added hurdles that are in there that a lot of people may not tell you about or they don't think to tell you about um, it is a daily chore it is a daily chore um, there is some more labor that goes into it I think if you manage it right um, they will work and it, it is something that if, if we do this down the road, and, and it's for other reasons um, that, that we're looking into it, but if we do this, it'll be something where we might run a hybrid model. We might still kick the cows out to gestate and let them stay out of the building nine months, eight months maybe, and then, uh, then bring them in to calve them, and then, and then we may run three different calving seasons throughout the year. We're not sure yet how this model is going to work best, but, but in our country, we get to kick cows out on corn stalks and, and bean stubble to, to get little air quotes, free grazing, if you will. Um, so, so we'll kick them out there and, you know, we'll, we don't really start feeding cows until the first of the year mm-hmm. because we'll, we'll kick them out to graze on that. And, and that's, that's a good feed source for them and great exercise and uh, a way to cut costs. And as we look to the West, how, how do you both look at maximizing dollars per acre with sustainability on mine, Chris? Well, when you look at the price of land, it always seems that the market value is way out of line with the productive value. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just don't know that there's anything we're going to be able to do about that. Down the road, you know, 10 years later, you look at a piece of land you passed on because it was too expensive and 10 years later you go maybe i should have bought that piece of ground Mm -hmm. so it's always a gamble but if uh if you keep your your basic operation working correctly and profitably then uh then maybe you can add a little bit as you go along Mm -hmm. your thoughts I just look at, you know, just improving on, say, the base land that you're given. Um, I know I talked about it before, but rotational grazing did a lot for us in Mm -hmm. that avenue. I mean, we're able to run half again or almost twice as many cows as what we started with just by intensively managing that pasture. And, I mean, and we've done it all while increasing range condition. I mean, we won a local award in the early 2000s and it was dry really dry and they were clipping pastures every year was part of this award and you know we, we just kept to our basics kept rotating even through the drought and i mean they measured it that we'd actually increased range conditions so i mean 
some of these things, adding water, adding rotational systems, whatever works for your operation has allowed us to produce more with the acres that we have and expand that way. And sometimes, you know, like the guys in Texas, man, it's really interesting. I was, I was down there and then reiterated it with the guy that won the award from Texas this time. And I mean, those guys learned that grubbing out that mesquite and Mm -hmm. spraying it out was maybe 50 or a hundred dollars an acre, but it was cheaper than buying more land. So they could spend a hundred dollars and increase their carrying capacity with what they had instead of going out and having to pay high land prices, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And, and we're not really looking to expand our ranch at this point either. We're just trying to do a better job with what we already have. And that all comes back to the conversation you'll see on social media or an editorial in a, in a big national newspaper or even a documentary that says, you know, we could raise this protein or an alternative protein, um, you know, without having environmental impacts. And, you know, it takes so many cows and so many gallons of water to, to, to produce beef. We always hear these. And now with this topic of sustainability with this platform of the environmental stewardship award program or and with your consumers that uh, the meat that you sell to people this is this is the truly that that opportunity to tell your story and uh, i know we always say that you got to tell your story you got to share it but uh, just i'll go with you how important is it though to actually be able to explain to consumers that really haven't been influenced by this rhetoric just the role that uh, cattle play in truly a healthy planet and for folks not to get sucked down into that vortex of construing a little bit of data to make it look like uh, we're the villains in this situation. In our corner of the world, people are so removed from agriculture. We have some customers that um, they have a grandfather that had a farm and I think he had two or three acres on the edge of a, a town and that was a farm and they got to go ride horses there when they were little. I don't think they have the horses anymore, don't even know if they have the couple acres, but they talk about grandpa's farm and I just asked how long has it been since you've been to grandpa's farm? Oh, it's been years and years and years and years. And we have a unique situation because our son um, is in a wrestling club and there are we have people that travel up to four hours or more one direction. So we get people from Wisconsin coming down. Uh, we get people from Southern Iowa, Minnesota. So we get to visit with those types of people and they are so removed that whenever they start to visit about it, you can share your story and then they want to come see the farm because in their mind, it's just big green tractors. Well, then they get to come out and spend, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes or sometimes half a day they'll come out and spend that time and then they have a friend that'll call or email and then they'll have another friend so we need to stay diligent in our path to keep sharing our story because people want to know our story you have one person talk bad and everybody gets to hear it because they're the squeaky wheel and my dad used to say the squeaky wheel gets the oil in my world, I change the, the wheel. I'm not oiling anything. I'm going to change it. Mm-hmm. Because if it's already squeaking, it's already going out. Let's get rid of it. So you have to make sure that you stay ahead of the game and and visit with people and make sure that I give, I give free product out um, sometimes just not necessarily for them to try the product, but it's kind of like when you... You go spend a lot of money on a tractor and you might get a hat. Might. You might get a hat. <clears throat> you go buy some, you go buy a couple bags of seed corn and they'll give you a coat. You know, they'll give you a nice, nice Carhartt sweatshirt or something. So it's, it's, uh, you have to stay connected with those people. You have to share your story. You need to invite them out and, and look around and, there are times that I've, I've looked around. I, we were going to have the, the Young Cattlemen uh, Leadership Program come out to the farm. And my wife was like, oh, goodness, the farm's a wreck. I thought it was, too. And, but these people come out and visit. They don't see the bucket sitting by the barn door. They don't see the, the net wrap that's rolled up that you didn't take to the, the dumpster or whatever. 
but they see the cows they get to see what they want and when they see cows out grazing and healthy and comfortable it opens their eyes in a whole different direction and that's something that we need to understand as producers that people people do want a relationship with the farmer the rancher the producer it doesn't matter they, they want a relationship and they want they want to be able to say that's where i get my product yeah. i know that these producers are doing it the right way yeah. do you have any thoughts on that well yeah in in people need to know that there's all kinds of soils and 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 uh, plant communities out there and in iowa they've got good rich soil and they can if they don't raise cows i guess a lot of it they can farm but that's true in a lot of places in montana but there's also a lot of places where the soils on some of that native prairie are actually pretty fragile and uh, the only way to really be able to harvest uh, a food product there is through grazing I, I think that most of our ranch it would really be a shame to plow it up uh, the more I go to soil health workshops the more I learn about all the things that are going on underneath the surface it's not just not just the plant roots there's mm-hmm. microbes there's there's fungus there's all kinds of things and they all have a, a relationship where they work it all works together when you go in and, and plow that and turn it over all that stuff then is exposed to decay and it, it, you know you're you're actually you're releasing carbon from the soil when you do that and when you're grazing if it's well managed grazing those plants keep building their root a forest most of the carbon in a forest is above ground and that's fine it's trapped in the tree trunk but if you have a forest fire it's all back in the atmosphere in the prairie more of the carbon's actually underneath the soil surface and if you treat that right those plants will continue to build root structure which is more organic carbon in the soil which means there's better water infiltration which means it'll grow more forage and it's just a circle that will build upon itself so there's a large, a large part of our country that's uh, that's better being grazed. It's more ecological to graze that, and and historically that's what was there, large large ungulates. So uh, it's appropriate that a lot of that ground is grazing land. And I do, I'll say it again. I think it'd be a shame to plow some of it. Yep. There there is ground that's good farm ground, and there's ground that's better left as grazing land. Britton, your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, the, the media can sensationalize a bad story so well in agriculture, and it can spread so fast. And then we try to come back on it, and it, the truth doesn't spread as fast. And I, I think we're getting better at telling that story, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're on the brink of something great with this sustainability thing. All these companies are promising all this stuff, and the only place to look almost, it seems like, is agriculture. And, um, you know, I was... Five years ago, we had World Wildlife Fund, Autobahn, uh, some of those groups came out. And, you know, first of all, you're kind of scared what these people are wanting or whatever. And, I mean, at that time, I think they finally came to the realization that here the prairie's disappearing. And here's some people that have kept the prairie intact for the last hundred years. Perhaps we should work with them and see what they know instead of trying to fight against them or make agriculture about to be the bad guy and here five years later you know we still continue to talk and they've actually put their money where their mouth is and i mean world wildlife fund hosted a rancher deal the other day and i mean just basic education and i'm i mean people that you're used to listening to now they brought them in for a group it's not like it was a lot of world wildlife fund stuff it was just basic rancher education and I think that was from some of those conversations, and I think we're on the brink of, you know, people realizing that ranchers have kept their prairie intact, and they're going to continue to keep the prairie intact, and I think that's very hopeful for our industry. I think that's a great point, and I, I would agree with you that there are a number of the major conservation groups now that are that are shifting their focus to the grasslands, and uh, and they are, several of them are saying that the best thing that can happen to the grasslands is to keep ranchers there because then it's not going to get subdivided and it won't get plowed up right i'm i think it's great but i hope it continues i think you know they were worried it was disappearing faster than the rainforest and and they are all about keeping ranchers ranching now yep 
We need some of that mentality to come east to my part of the world. We need to get them to spread it to their people, you know? Yeah. Convey that message to their members that, hey, these people are good people, you know? And I think that some of the groups, some of the conservation groups that we're working with in Montana are doing that. They're telling us that they're putting feedback to their national organizations that are saying, hey, we're we're liking working with these ranchers and we think that we have common goals here. So I think it is... I think it is turning in a positive direction. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I, that was my next point that I jotted down here is the partnerships that you all have with educators, with extension agents, with you know soil scientists, with range scientists. Let's talk about the partners that you have in your Rolodex that help you make these decisions and shine shine a light on maybe new methods. Uh, Justin, do you want to share kind of the folks that you work with and organizations? I work, um, I'm pretty independent. I really am. Um, it's, it's a little tougher uh, because in our world, if I want to get some assistance with um, how to tile a field or if I want to uh, do anything row crop, I can find that help in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to... Um, there's some equipped dollars available. Uh, you have to be first in line to get them. And, but I'm one of those that I'm, I'm a trial and error type of guy. I'm going to go out and put a fence over here, and then I might want to move it and put it over there. Yeah. And, and so I'll go out and do a lot of that stuff myself. Well, you have to color inside the lines to be able to get some of that stuff available. I have worked with uh, NRCS on some different stuff. Uh, I have worked with them on cover crops, some different ideas and plans on that. Um, Practical Farmers of Iowa. They have been um, helpful in some some different avenues. So there there are programs that work and that are willing to try to help out. But I, I am I am different, and I understand that I can own that. Um, but it is something that is evolving in Iowa, and people are getting more more open to to that. And um, so that's been been an interesting interesting challenge. But we're getting through it. And this one's going to be hard to quantify, but how much time every day do you spend reading, researching, and going into these different methods? I know that's a really, <laughs> might be impossible, but just for people to, to think, you know what, instead of, you know, playing that extra cribbage game in the morning with Pops, mm-hmm. I could be, you know, reading this. What, what, when do you spend that time researching or looking into these uh, better ways of doing things? It's usually a late at night type of thing. I might even doze off and then wake up and go, oh, hey, why did I have that crazy idea? Well, I guess I'll check into it. And um, I, I don't even know what to say on how much time I spend in, in a day. Um, it, it depends. I, I, might, I might flip open Facebook and, and hit the search and, and look something up. Um, uh, there's a gentleman that Britain went to school with um, that's in, in our area that, that I'll, uh, I'll kind of see what they have going on with their, their cover crops. Um, we have different things like that that I might, I might get on the phone and, and just be on the phone a couple hours talking to someone while I'm, while I'm spreading some manure or, or working some cows. I'd, I'll mute it and listen to what he has to say or listen to a podcast or something uh that's something i do enjoy listening to his podcasts and learning so i might spend a couple hours a day just listening to something um and i might only pick up one or two little things out of it but you you may already have the pencil it just needs sharpened a little bit so so to find just that little thing that might help you but the biggest step is you have to implement it you can hear or read anything you want you can spend you can spend days upon days doing research, but until you implement that that research that you've done or that little piece of data that you found, I mean that's something that, that it takes the first step. I used to be so secretive on what I was doing because <laughs> well I don't want I don't want Joe down the road to know what I'm doing because I'm gonna try this. Well at the end of the day it doesn't matter because Joe's probably not gonna try it because he's probably looking at me going, Man, that guy's crazy. So that that's kinda how things work. Um so all the information that you go and you find and you do, it's like here, just strolling around the trade show. I'm, I'm looking at different watering systems that, that we're going to try because we, we have some solar wells um, that we run. 
and I want to have a larger water capacity. Um, I want to be able to hold more gallons of water. And um, one of my solar wells is about, I don't know, 100 feet from a creek bed. So there's water right there, but I want fresh water, large volume of water to, to keep the cows. I don't want to put all the fence along there. Mm-hmm. But I found that as long as I have that volume of fresh water, the cows will drink that water over the water out of the creek and and they won't spend time hanging out in it they'll just they'll they'll cross the crossing that we made and make it a little more appeasing for the cows to cross instead of just hang out and and make a mud hole so there are ways to get those things done if you will just you may not need to go look at a big data driven um finding somewhere you can talk to neighbors and friends and see what they've done and and you'll find some real economic practical things that you can do yep britain for for your family operation what what are some of the 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 tools partnerships that uh, really help guide decision making hey you know it started probably with nrcs a long time ago and that was probably the place to go for information at the time you know they'd had the new science the new studies and kind of helped you along the way and that was kind of the innovative thing. And then, you know, this ranch person in 2014, we really got to know the BLM and start working with them. And, you know, it was fun to talk to them. I think they'd had a lot of people come in there that were always mad at them. And when we sat down and just said, hey, you know, what do we need to do? How do we work together? They worked with us. And I yeah. think our office is very good in Belfouche. I've learned that too. But, you know, just having a relationship that, you know kind of discussing stuff that maybe we can improve on this and they understand that you know and now some of these new ngos we've started working with you know world wildlife fund does some bird surveys and it's basically so they can build a relationship with you and you know i just got the bird survey a month ago and it's kind of like a sense of pride that the this one species of bird the only one they found was on our ranch and i think that's like almost competitive for me or it's just like a sense of pride that hey we only we're the only ones that had this species of bird and had the most of this species and i don't it's just kind of a fun thing you know yeah Yeah. that's cool and and now we're in a deal and they're doing some soil sampling and i think you know this carbon thing nobody really has the data and it costs maybe more to get the data than what it's worth and it's pretty neat deal to be able to work with them and get some of this data put together because i think in the future we're gonna have to use some of that stuff or get the baseline set you know yep chris some of the partners education uh we we try to attend workshops when we can and uh our family's never really been much for signing up for government programs but but we do work with the NRCS office because they're an excellent resource. I mean, they have they have the information there, and, and you can get information from them and assistance from them without actually having to sign up to any kind of a program or a payment. But but there are, uh, at a grazing workshop a few years ago, the girl across the table turned out to be a, a self-proclaimed bird nerd. And... Uh, she was interesting to talk to, and, and so we invited her down just to do a, a bird survey on our place. I don't know if you've ever met Kelsey Malloy. She's up in Malta now. But uh, oh. it, we did it just because we were, we were interested and we were curious, and now we've, we've been doing range monitoring for quite a few years, but in recent years we've been trying to ramp that up, mm-hmm. adding soil sampling. And because of talking with Kelsey, now we're also doing a routine uh, a bird monitoring too and trying to put all that data together and have... As, as Britton said, you need some sort of a baseline because we think we're doing a good job with our pasture rotation. But we need to be able to look at data 10 years from now and then and act, something you can actually measure because if it's not getting better, then you better rethink what you're doing. I kind of wanted to hear more of your story about how your father worked with the BLM kind of on the rest rotation thing, and I thought that was yeah, we, a neat progression probably. And probably be- because of that, we've always had a good relationship with the BLM. But it, it was about 50 years ago that Dad approached them, because at that time, it was common grazing. A number of ranchers turned out into a large district, and it was a season-long just 
everybody's cows out there together. And Dad had been reading about uh, rest rotation, so he approached the BLM, and of course they were happy to work with him. And so then down the road, uh, when we have, then that became incorporated into our BLM agreement. But but as the time goes on and, and we learn more and we say, well, you know, we could do this different. Instead of rest rotation, we could do a deferred rotation. We could add this pasture. We could shorten the time we're in here. We could lengthen the rest. And our BLM office uh, has always been really good about being open to our ideas. And it's not always easy for the BLM office to do that because they're confined by rules. And so it's hard sometimes for them to make a change because they have to stay within all the rules. But 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 our BLM office has been good to work with and, and allowed us to do some experimenting. And uh, and, and I, think, I think that they're willing to work with us because they they believe that we're trying to do a better job and they want to be a part of that so yeah it is frustrating like just working with the government now where i bet it was easier 50 years ago or i don't maybe not it was much easier when i was a kid the the blm uh range guy would come out and he and dad would I can remember walking across the pasture with him, and Dad was saying, what we'd like to do is, you know, maybe we could fence here, and we'd like to run a pipeline here, but it's going to end up crossing some BLM ground. And Pug would look at it, and he'd say, hmm, I think that's a good idea. And that was it. I mean, there wasn't paperwork. There wasn't. And now we have to be more careful today. And I know that the BLM is responsible for that land, and so they have to follow those rules. But, But, yes, it is much more difficult to make changes today because of, increased scrutiny and 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 rules yeah even when we put our water line in in 2015 i think two years later we might not have got it done even though their goals are the same the yeah regulation changed and i it's kind of frustrating but glad we got done what we got done at Mm -hmm. the time well at the end of the day when we talk about sustainability and regenerative agriculture that's generating that next generation I guess, uh, Justin, I'll ask you, what, what's the plan for the operation? What, uh, kids, your children's involvement, do they want to be involved? What, what, what's the overall, what, what, what's the plan at this point? I know it's probably maybe a little early, but uh, where, what do you hope to see happen with your place? I have three nephews and a son and uh, that I have looked to. I have, I have some nieces, but those are the... The, the ones that are kind of showing the interest is the three nephews and my son. Um, they all have something else going on at this point in life. Uh, my son, we'll see where things go with college with him. He's a junior in high school now. He, he is very involved in the operation. Uh, it is it is him and, and my wife and I that are the day-to-day. That's after Lacey gets home from her job in town. Um, I do see McKinley at some point coming back uh, to a certain capacity. He does not enjoy the row crop as much as he does the cow-calf yeah. operation. Um, the row crop is a is a byproduct um, for us to be able to have this cow-calf operation. Mm-hmm. Um, it has helped get things off the ground just, just because of the cash flow. Um, it has allowed it to get going. But as we continue to grow, as we continue to do things... Um, more economically um, correct um, and more more environmentally friendly. Uh, there will be more acres that we put into pasture. So I do believe that McKinley will come back uh, to the farm at some point. But he, he really has his heart set on being an engineer. Uh, he's a very bright kid. I cannot take one ounce of credit of that. That came from <laughs> his mother. Um, but I do believe that he will come back and he will be... Um, be a sixth generation uh, to come back in and really make things happen. Um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things that it, it is in your DNA. He may leave for a while um, and do some things, but I do believe that he'll be back uh, when it's time. He already has uh, a percentage of cows in the operation anyway, so I do think that it's something he'll come into, and, and uh, we'll keep this thing moving forward for, for generations to come. And what's that next big innovation on the horizon uh, with uh, sustainability in mind? If you can share it. I don't know if you want Joe down the road knowing yet. I I do think that we will will probably be looking at at putting a hoop building into the operation. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that we will probably be putting 100% um, of our row crop. We'll be seeding down to to cover crops um, so that way they can be 
grazed or or have some some impact in the operation um so that that is that is a goal that we're working towards is is to be 100 percent um cover crop usage and then probably look at look at a hoop building down the road but but it is something that we're not going to do it just because it's cool It, it has to be um it has to be profitable yep and and right now you have to sharpen your pencil a long ways to make it happen and and it's something that as long as it works uh for the operation we'll do it but otherwise we'll push it down the road a ways yep what's blair brothers looking like what what what's that future generation how how's the family business uh what, what are some of those plans if you're comfortable sharing that yeah you know i'm 37 my cousin's 42 and we're taking over more management every day i would say and i think you know the principles of this stewardship is a passion of both of ours it is made it to our generation from my father and uncle mm-hmm. I, it's pretty safe to say and you know my boys are nine and six he's got a 13 year old boy and two girls and you know he works really hard to pass that passion down to them they're out you know talking about the grass they look at the sage grouse they're moving cows and i think he does a good job passing those principles on and you know my boys that's all they want to do is ranch you know they just look at dad and that's what they want to yeah. do so i think i think just keeping that mindset going isn't going to be hard to convince them you know it's just going to be oh that's how we're doing it you know and but you need to teach them to look at stuff and how you need to tweak stuff and change it i you know we've adopted the big principles and i think it's time to fine tune and keep just working at it you know every time you build a fence or a water tank you think you're done and then you look over and there's three more you can put in you know and i mean just getting water to another area of the ranch and you know we're just going to keep going on this deal that we've been doing and there's just no other way to do it um you know it's added profitability to us it's increased the environmental impact that we're leaving and I, I mean, just keep going on the deal. Yep. Chris, I know you got a uh, daughter, son, and, and grandkids already back on the place. Uh, what, what are you feeling? Are you feeling good about the future of, of, I, of the place? I am. Uh, my folks made a deal with my sisters and I that uh, you need to go get an education and have a real job. And then if you still think the ranch is what you want to do, we'll talk. And that's what happened. So... I thought that was a good plan. We did the same thing with our kids, and uh, both of them did that. And we wanted them to know that they could be successful on their own right out there. And then if if ranching was truly the career they wanted, then they could come back. And and uh, and that's the way it worked out. They're, they're both back on the ranch now, and we're very happy about that. And I want to transfer as much of the decision-making as I can to them. I want... I want them to go pick out the bulls. You know, I want to talk about it with them, but uh, I want them to, to assume management and real ownership of, of the operation. And the future, uh, I'm the older generation now, although I still can't quite visualize myself <laughs> as that guy. But uh, so the technology stuff uh, is not as easy for me, and I don't adapt to it as quickly but that is where the future is and and there are some things like you know that right now there's a, a couple of pilot programs with uh, invisible fencing yeah and uh you know like the invincible fence for your dog in your yard i guess yeah. but uh that they will refine that and it will get better and so so then you have the opportunity to manage your grazing even more without building a fence which then you don't have the expense of the fence and you don't and the fence is not impeding any movement of wildlife or or the view shed if that's what you're worried about mm-hmm. but uh so so there's there's bright new ideas always right over the horizon and as long as you uh, wake up ready to embrace those i think that things are gonna keep getting better yep. Yeah, Bartholomew says that uh, it's quite yes. the study going on up there south of Malta right. with uh, with the invisible fences and uh, uh, I never I didn't make it out to their field day there, but uh, I we, my wife and I just had a baby about the time they did their field day out at the ranch. But glad you brought that up. That's a that's something we will continue to see more of. And uh, uh, Chris's son-in-law is also my nephew's uh, track coach at the Winnet Grass Range Co-op in sports. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's always great just to, to to see everybody to hear these stories i know we could continue to to have these conversations and to talk more but i think we got our next class of esap folks uh coming up here but uh 
uh, good luck in, in, in the few weeks ahead. I know we'll probably see everybody down in, in Reno um, for the uh, summer business meeting of NCBA where they will make the uh, announcement of the national winner. But again, just to be able to come here and uh, be recognized for your hard work. And I think Chris said it really well. This is about my, your third interview with myself or Russell uh, <laughs> Nimitz. But, uh, you know, we have so many neighbors out there that deserve this recognition, too because they put in a lot of time, they put in a lot of effort, and maybe they don't feel that they, they could win this award or should, you know, uh, be el- uh, eligible or nominated, and, and they probably should be. Right. So, you know, for, for our folks listening to this, make sure and visit environmentalstewardship.org. Learn more about it. Nominate your family member, your neighbor, and uh, all their hard work. And again, I do just want to mention a big thank you to the sponsors of this event with Corteva, NRCS, USDA, McDonald's, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for their continued support of uh, the livestock industry here in the U.S. So, gentlemen, I know I didn't. I don't know if I followed my points here, and, and hopefully we didn't get in the sagebrush too much. But I appreciate you all coming here, taking the time, and and thank you for all that you do for uh, for U.S. agriculture and your rural communities. Thank, thank you. you. All right, friends, that will do it for today's conversation. We recorded this at the Microtechnologies booth during the 2022 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. I'm Wayne Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.